Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile Up the podcast. This is episode 198 called Pile. Today's episode is sponsored by Prove, a women's health company dedicated to providing information and solutions on key fertility hormones so they can reach their goals faster. Prove founder Amy Beckley, PhD, invented the first and only FDA-cleared PDG test after her own battle with infertility. When she learned that her seven miscarriages and two rounds of IVF could have been prevented by an inexpensive progesterone supplement, she set out to help other women better understand the success of their ovulation from home. Prove's newest kit, Complete, allows women to measure all four key cycle hormones that impact conception from the comfort of home so they can get pregnant faster. With just one test kit, you can better understand ovarian reserve, identify up to six fertile days, and check for successful ovulation. And now, the free Prove Insight app takes your hormone knowledge one step further by providing numeric hormone levels, info about what they mean, and personalized action plans to help you reach your fertility goals faster. That's not all, guys. Prove also offers an entire suite of at-home hormone tests and hormone-supporting products to empower you with the right information on your journey. Okay, so you know I love female-founded companies and products that can truly benefit anybody battling infertility. So definitely check out Prove. It's spelled P-R-O-O-V. You can go to provetest.com, P-R-O-O-V-T-E-S-T.com, and you can enter the code Alley 25 and you'll get 25% off your first Prove order of $25 or more. Again, Infertile AF listeners are getting a special discount code, so go to provetest.com, P-R-O-O-V-T-E-S-T.com, enter the code ALLY25, A-L-I-25, and you'll get 25% off your first Prove order of $25 or more. Thanks, Prove. This episode is supported by Receptiva DX. The Receptiva DX test can help couples struggling with unexplained infertility. Getting pregnant isn't easy, as so many of you know. Many couples struggle with infertility, and unexplained infertility can be particularly frustrating. Women facing unsuccessful IVF may not know that endometriosis is the underlying cause, a disease that can impact the success rates of IVF treatments and often has no symptoms. The Receptiva DX test can help identify endometriosis before an embryo transfer, and it has the potential to save women the stress, anxiety, and cost of multiple failed IVF attempts. The good news is multiple studies show treatment of women with a positive Receptiva DX test improves live birth outcomes by over 50%. Receptiva DX can detect all stages of endometriosis and help women make better decisions in planning for pregnancy. You can learn more at ReceptivaDX.com or download their app, which is also called Receptiva DX. Hey, everybody. So I'm so honored to share this story with you guys today. Pyle is a very dear friend of mine who I met when she joined Fertility Rally. I actually got to hang out with her IRL in Austin in January of 2022 at our Rally IRL event. And she is just fucking amazing. She is caring. She's whip smart. She loves everybody in this community. She's fun to hang out with. She's all the things. And today she is going to tell us her story, where she is so far in her family building journey. She is the mama to Zion Edward, who was with us Earthside earlier this year from 7-4 to 7-6. And we love Zion Edward so much. We're going to talk a lot about him and we're going to talk about what came before she was pregnant with him. And then we're going to talk about the placenta abruption that she had 
at 24 weeks and two days, which led to Zion being born early and then very, very tragically not staying with us Earthside for more than about 48 hours. So we're going to get into all of that. And I just can't thank her enough for being so open about the story. I told her, you know, when we were talking just as friends, if you ever want to share it, let me know. There's no pressure, obviously. I know it's very raw and all that. And she came to me when she was ready and she said, let's do this because she really does want to help people and she wants to talk about this. So it is a very, this is a long episode in a good way because we get into a lot and it's a very special one to me. So Pyle, I love you. Ron, I love you. Zion, I love you. And without further ado, this is Pyle's infertility story. Kyle, it's so good to talk to you. I haven't seen you in person since we met in Texas in January of last year or this year, earlier this year, but I feel like I immediately just adored you. So I'm so happy to know you and met you through Fertility Rally. So thank you for doing this tonight. It's so good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you. And thank you for having me. Um, of course. We're going to kidnap you and bring you to Texas. We're just oh my God. I, oh, I love it there. That that Austin trip was such a great time. It was like one of the best days of my life for real. It was so good. Just meeting all you guys. Okay. So we're going to talk about your family building journey so far. So tell me, first of all, your husband, Ron, who is amazing. Tell me how you guys met. Um, so we actually met, uh, the senior year, well, right before the senior year of college. Um, so he actually was, I went to the university of Wisconsin in Madison and he went to Duke. And so he was in Madison for like a summer internship and was hanging out with friends of friends and, you know, how we do back in, in our childhood days where we're drinking and getting wild. Um, we met at a pregame and, uh, I walked in and, I saw him and my first thought was, well, that guy's really drunk and he's an asshole and I do not want to spend any time with him. <laughs> they were playing drinking games or something and he was like handing out drinks to people. Uh-huh. I don't like him. I don't like him at all. <laughs> uh, and then naturally uh, at the bar, we ended up just kind of talking and that was pretty much it. I don't know that we ever really stopped talking after that. So well, was- when were you like, oh, wait, he's not an asshole. He's actually great. <laughs> About three days later. Okay. <laughs> um, so we like hung out all night and I was just like, oh, like he's just kind of fun to be around, you know, when you're out drinking and stuff. And mm-hmm. met up the next day and met up the next day. And then I was like, oh, like I actually think that there's more to him than just like lots of alcohol, <laughs> mm-hmm. fun drunk shenanigans. Um, and so, you know, it was that summer that we kind of like transitioned from just being acquaintances to uh-huh. Um, doing the friends with benefits thing to the, oh, like we're going to do long distance. We did long distance for, um, gosh, a little over a year. Um, How did that go? It was interesting. He's, I I don't know that I ever shared this with you. He was actually my first ever boyfriend. Okay. Um, so, you know, I didn't really know what to expect because you, you watch all the movies and talk to people and it's, you know, 
hometown sweethearts and right, right, right. All those ha- good Hallmark movies with the long distance yeah, romances. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so with long distance, it was, you know, a lot of Skype, um, a lot of texting. Uh, uh-huh. We, we would try to see each other about every six to eight weeks or so, um, which felt like a lot when you're a poor college kid and you're flying halfway across the country. Right. So, cause you're in Wisconsin, he's in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we um, you know, made it work. Yeah. That's amazing. So when did you know that you guys were going to end up together? Was there a certain point? Probably. Well, so I think it was different for both of us. I think uh-huh. for me, it was pretty early on. Like uh, I visited him that first Thanksgiving we were together. So I went to Duke for Thanksgiving and we just, it was just the two of us and it was super low key, but we had a really just good time. And I was like, this is somebody that, you know, I can spend time with and not really do anything. Um, mm-hmm. And it just felt comfortable and it felt like just, this is how it should be. And so mm-hmm. I think at that point I was like, oh, I'm going to hold on to him as long as I can. <laughs> uh, I think for him, it was a little bit longer. Um, we, he moved to Chicago, um, the year after graduation, we both moved to Chicago, me for pharmacy school and him for work. Um, and I think it was probably a year or two into living in Chicago that, uh, he kind of started realizing like, the, this isn't just a fling anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where it felt more serious at that point we had met each other's families and, um, and had started talking about the M word, um, mm-hmm. not committing to anything, but just like, is this something that we see ourselves doing? And, um, he's very, you know, very like rational, very, um, organized, not very, what's the word I'm looking Spontaneous. For? Spontaneous. Yeah. He's uh-huh. not. And so when he started dropping, you know, should we get engaged? Like, should we move in together? I was like, okay, now he's like actually like serious about this. Right. Vince uh, is that same way. Not spontaneous at all. Everything needs a plan and like lots of like headspace to like get in the, like get in that headspace before you're going to do something big. There's not a pro con list that Ron has met that he has not liked. Like everything, <laughs> everything gets a spreadsheet. Everything right. is just, he is very analytical. analytical. Yes. Oh, I love that. So when did you guys start? Was there any point before you got married that you had talked about family building, how many kids you wanted, any of that stuff? No, um, we had, so he grew I'm. um, it's me and my brother and then mm-hmm. for him, one of three. And so when we had started kind of talking about getting like engaged and everything, um, I actually historically never wanted kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, when we had kind of initially talked about it, he was like, well, you know, I don't really know. And I was like, well, I don't want any kids and, you know, I don't want to deal with any of that. Yeah. Um, Why did you feel that way? I, it just, you know, it was something that I never really, when I was growing up and it was never really something I saw myself as a mom, you know, it was just like so far away from who I was. I was so focused on my education and my career that like, I couldn't really see outside of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whenever the thought even came up, there was just like this instant, like, well, that's not my life, you know, mm-hmm. that's not going to be. Um, and so when we first started like talking about getting married, um, you know, it was, like just so far out of the question. And I don't know that he ever really was in the same boat as me of like, I don't ever want kids, but he was like, well, if you don't want kids, then we'll, we'll figure it out. Right. Like we'll make it work. And so, um, 
over the years, you know, I'd kind of gone from like zero kids to like, and eh, maybe one just to like make him happy. Uh-huh. Uh, we kind of do that. But like, it was never something that I was all in on. Like pining uh, over. Nope. Okay. Like some people know right from the time that they're like itty bitty, they're like, I'm going to be a mom. Or yeah. I always ask this question. I always get a mixed bag of responses. Some people are like you and say, I never really thought it. And I was always kind of like, I always just assumed that I would, but I wasn't like, oh my God, it's like the thing I want the most in the world. I was, I just assumed it would kind of happen, I guess. So I was kind of in the middle. Fast forwarding a bit. What happened when you guys started to try, when you decided to, to, you know, try to build your family? Um, gosh. So we got married in 2018 Mm -hmm. and I think I hit 30 like that same year. And that's like same pile, same (laughs) ridiculous because I went from like, I don't want kids to like, I want to have 15. Like it was, Oh really? It was, so you had like a physical reaction. Like the biological clock was like tick. probably, Probably on May 4th. Like my birthday's on May 3rd. And like literally that same month I was like, no, I want to have kids. Like I want to have lots of kids. Like That's I want to so have interesting. So many kids, I don't know what to do with them. Right. Okay. <laughs> it was just insanity. Um, and Ron being, you know, Mr. Analytical was like, well, we need a list. Whips out the spreadsheet. Whips out the spreadsheet. <laughs> and, and um, he's like, we'll start January 1st. Like, let's be married for like six months and have a good time. Um, and then we'll start like January 1st. And like, I remember, gosh, it was one of the evenings where we're like sitting and having a drink, um, talking about, you know, like the list and kind of what do we need to prepare, like mm-hmm. savings we need, you know, what doctor's appointments and all that. And I remember saying, we need to put money aside for fertility treatments. Really? And he was like, you're nuts. Like, no, we don't. And, you know, why do you even think that? And I'm like, I can't explain it. But like, my gut tells me that this is going to be hard. And, Interesting. Um, He, you know, kind of did the the typical Ron thing where he's like, no, we're not going to, you know, you're going to, we're, we're going to be fine. Like, if you want to look into, you know, what we need to do ahead of time, like eating healthier, exercising, whatever it might be, like, we'll do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think we're going to need fertility treatments. We're young, you know, we're, there's not any reason to think. And Mm -hmm. um, I I still, to this day, cannot point out like why I had that gut feeling. It's like your gut intuition. But did you have anybody in your family pile that like had issues or anything? Not a soul. Uh, There was nothing really that would point to we were going to, I mean, I'd had regular periods. I'd had, you know, like all of the things that make sense to have, I'd had. Um, so, you know, it wasn't even like, well, I don't have a period. So I know it's going to be hard. Like I'm getting a period every month. Like all of it is, you know, what you would expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, might've been intuition. It might've been just paranoia in terms of like, you know, I'm hearing all these stories and I'm reading about difficulties and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, not entirely sure. Yeah. Um, Where had you been reading about them and like hearing stories like friends of yours or like friends, but I think I'd also just started looking into like, you know, what do I need to do to get ready to have a baby? And it talked Mm. about like, you know, start your prenatal, quit smoking, um, Mm -hmm. go and do like a preconception visit. And then it like, you know, they, all the articles normal naturally go into. And if you have had trouble, you know, 
for the last year or whatever. Like you need to see a fertility specialist. And um, we hadn't actively been trying. Um, I was still on birth control at this point. Um, but it was just one of those things that it like stuck with me. Like mm-hmm. this is going to be us. Like th- this is going to be us. I need to like really pay attention and like make sure that I'm staying on top of my doctors and um, I don't know if it was self-fulfilling prophecy or, no. <laughs> or I think it's a gut in I think it's gut instinct slash yeah. intuition. I think that's really interesting. Cool. Yeah. So um that fall I got off of birth control, um, had a visit with like just I was seeing like a midwife. I didn't even have like a true OB. Um, and we did like the genetic carrier screening just to make sure because you know, we're obviously like just analytical people. We wanted to do everything we could to like, just minimize any risks. Right. Um, they didn't even run any other blood work on me at the time. They were literally like, you know, you're fine. You're young, you're healthy, get off the pill, give it a couple months for your body to kind of just figure things out. And then, you know, I mean, I remember her saying like, you're gonna be pregnant in no time. Um, and so did you think that, did you believe that? You know, I don't know what I believed. Like part of me was like, scared to try unprotected because I'm like oh I am going to be the person that's going to get pregnant in no time but then part of me was like you know I had that feeling of like well it's going to be a lot harder than I think and mm-hmm. so um I know when she said it it was kind of like that okay well we'll see feeling like we'll see um maybe I will be maybe I won't be um but at the same time like while off the pill every time you know we had sex for the next couple of months because it wasn't January 1st right like mm-hmm. that to try um I was still scared right so like my period's 30 seconds late and I'm still freaking out like, right you know and I'm, it was just like I think back to like I was so naive like I was so blissfully naive but like it was great you know but I think that's part of our culture too is like we're taught that it's so easy to become pregnant and I think, we, you know, it's it's like the scared straight thing, like growing up. And I understand why they do that for high school kids and middle school kids and stuff. But it's just like, I think that everybody's been, has been taught that, you know, it's yeah. so easy. It's so easy. Be careful, be careful. And it's, that's just so not the reality. Oh, I remember like in high school, somebody, had, there was a rumor of like, oh, you can get pregnant from like sitting on a toilet seat. Like, yeah. All the things in it, like just, if only, if right. only. <laughs> exactly. 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 Okay. So what happened next? So January 1st hits, we're not pregnant. Um, but this is like when we started like actively trying. So for the first couple of months, I mean, it was just like not, you know, timed intercourse per se, but like we're banging it out and, you know, there's no birth control, there's no condoms or anything like that. And just you know, maybe it'll work. Um, nothing happened. Uh, so gosh, like April or May of that year, uh, I called my OB and I'm like, this is kind of weird. Like it's been a couple months, you know, like what, you know, do I need to worry? And she was like, mm-hmm. no, like you've been on birth control at this point for close to 10 years. Your body probably just is like figuring things out, mm-hmm. give it time. And she was the one who recommended doing like ovulation predictor kits. And so she was like, you know, go and get like those clear blue predictor tests and, um, just see, you know, like track your ovulation mm-hmm. missing your window. And okay. so I, 
uh, I did that. Um, the first month I never caught a peak. And so I was like, well, you know, maybe I just don't know what the hell I'm doing because we're so quick to like assume that we're doing it wrong. And that's when I like started diving headfirst into like the TTC community, right? Okay. All the articles and like, what time of the day am I supposed to pee on these sticks? Like, mm-hmm. is there a secret to them, you know? And gosh, like in being introduced to the world of like line eyes and like <sighs> people were doing all sorts of wacky stuff with like sending pictures of like their kits. And is this a positive? Right. I'm like, I would never even think to like find a stranger on the internet and be like, look at this stick that I just peed on. And what do you think? Like Exactly. So were you in like Facebook groups and stuff or like Reddit or Instagram or like, where were you looking? Initially it was like the Facebook group. So Uh I I had joined two. I I joined the first time TTC group. um, And then I joined like a 30 and over group. Um, and so like the 30 and over group was all like IVF, IUI. And I'm like, Oh, like, that's not me. Um, but the first time group was all, and it was, it was so funny. Cause it was like, you know, the, the, like, am I ovulating? Am I not ovulating? Right. But then you also have the, like, is this pregnancy test positive? Like, mm. and all of that. And so it was admittedly like those first couple of months, it was really fun. Like I loved being in the group. Cause I was just like, in it, you know, like these are my people. We're mm-hmm. together. But then like month after month after month, you know, it started feeling really old. Like, hey, now I'm four months into doing this and it's right. still not working. I'm five months into doing this. It's still not working. I'm six months into doing this. It's still not working. Right. And can I ask you too, and yeah. you don't have to say, but like, was the sex becoming like a chore or like, you know, trying to like... A hundred percent. Like okay. the point where... You know, the first couple of months, it's like, like, let's right. do some stuff, you know, right. let's make a baby. And then it got to the point where it was like, okay, it's Tuesday. Like, yeah, I'm not feeling like positive. Like we need to go now. Um, yeah. When there was no longer that, like, I mean, it got to the point where like, I hit a point where I was like, screw the foreplay, screw all this. Let's just, just screw me. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's just go. Um, totally. You know, and, and it was, it it was really grating on both of us. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, for me, it became very clinical and I'm a pharmacist by nature. So it was right. like, you know, healthcare, well, like this is what we have to do. And like taking, you know, all of the the romance and everything out of it. I didn't even really realize for a long time how much it had affected like our relationship mm-hmm. because sex became something that it wasn't fun um mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't something that we were like dreading per se but like it got to a point where it was just like oh is it time like you know yeah there's nothing sexy about it it takes all the sexiness out of it and all the romance and all the good stuff and it's just like let's do this and oh it's it's awful yeah, it's like I'm gonna take my pants off. Let's go. Yeah, take- I remember one time to Vince, I was like, "Just stick it in," and he was like sweating, and I'm like crying, and like, it was like, "Oh my god, what is happening to us?" <laughs> so yeah. bad. Yeah. So we, you know, kept going, um, and all this time, like three, four months in um, to the OPKs, like I still wasn't getting a positive. Mm-hmm. I still wasn't even catching like a line. It was always just like the one line and you know how you're supposed to see like the two. I never even saw the second one. Mm-hmm. So I like had done the, the expensive clear blues. I'd done the Amazon cheapies, mm-hmm. like 
a whole bunch of them thinking that maybe it was just like the test itself that I had bought. Um, and that's when I started really kind of getting to be, you know, frustrated, but then also recognizing that I was going to have to advocate for myself. And so I'd called my doctor and I was like, Hey, like, I'm not even getting two lines, like forget not catching the positive. That's a timing thing. Like I'm not even getting two lines. There's something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and in hindsight, right. Like my OB, she was like the worst. Cause she was like, Oh, you're fine. You're fine. You know, she kept kind of like pushing it off. Like you're young, you're healthy. It'll happen. Um, and I kept pushing and they finally got me in that fall. Um, and she still wouldn't do like a full, like infertility workup per se. She just like, checked my progesterone. And I think she checked like one other level basically to like look for PCOS. Why do you think she wouldn't do it? I don't know. Actually, like she, she's not my OB anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, She, I think, you know, she left the clinic probably within a year of me actually like starting to be seen by her. My guess is that she was just kind of checked out, honestly, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and if, if you're not actively pre- like she's an ob guy, right? So if you're not actively pregnant, like, why are you wasting my time kind of deal? Oh, wow. Yeah. But she kept pushing it off. And, you know, initially, like, it was just kind of like, well, maybe she's right. Like, she's a doctor. She knows and I should trust her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's always this part of me that's like, but like something doesn't feel right. Um, so she did her PCOS workup and everything came back normal. Okay. Right? that stuck out to her. Um, but one thing that was interesting is that she caught a, my progesterone showed that I had ovulated. So she's like, you know, you are ovulating. Um, so just keep going. Like it might be that the first you know, six to eight months or whatever that you were trying, like you weren't ovulating, but your body's definitely doing it now. Mm-hmm. And that was like just enough for me to hold on to like, okay, all right. You know, eight months we were trying, but we weren't really trying because I wasn't ovulating, but now I'm ovulating. But now it's going to happen, right? Yeah. And so it was just like, let's go. Let's fucking go. You know? Yeah. And I like to swear. Oh, 100%. All right. <laughs> You're asking me, pile. <laughs> um, so it kind of gave me that renewed, like, motivation, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and it was like, I remember the next couple of months, it was like, again, back to that excited feel of like, okay, now I know I'm ovulating, like this is going to work for us. I wasn't ovulating before, but now I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, you know, we kept trying, um, and she had said, you know, give it probably another like six months or whatever it was from the time that she'd done all the workup. Um, so, you know, we're trying still nothing like we're still each month. It's like, that pregnancy test is, you know, either I'm not taking it because I'm getting my period at like 24 days or 26 days, or like I'm late, but like, it's just plain, right? Like no line, no hint of a line. I don't even know that I ever got to a point where I was squinting, like maybe there's something there. No, like it was just very obviously negative. Um, And then, you know, I set up that appointment in March of 2020, which is when six months from when my blood work was for the initial kind of like PCOS workup. Mm-hmm. That's when everything shut down. Right. So right. she, you know, when I called and I was like, I had made the appointment a couple, like, I think in January of that year. Um, and I was like, you know, really gearing up for it. 
in March, everything shut down. The clinic called me and they're like, you are, we're canceling your appointment. Um, this is considered elective. You don't need to be coming in and, you know, seen at this point. Um, and so I had demanded to talk to her to kind of figure out like, what do we do in the meantime? And her response was, well, everything's going to open up in, you know, probably another six weeks or so. So we'll just kind of keep pushing your appointment. But in the meantime, keep trying. And at this point, we've been, you know, just in terms of timed intercourse going for what did that end up being like a year and a half? Sorry, are you seeing people around you that were trying, you know, the started at the same time, like friends getting pregnant and all that stuff? And dealing yeah, so with all that shit. I got lucky in that most of my friends weren't in that space yet. So I didn't have anybody in my like personal life that was okay. like, not babies, but like people I'd connected to in the Facebook group, right? Like right. were not only pregnant, but like now, you know, giving birth um, because they had, you know, made it all the way. Um, right. So it was kind of tough to see that. Um uh, tough to see kind of that like random stranger that you connected with one month over, you know, OPKs and am I positive or not now mm-hmm. they're having their baby boy or their baby girl. Right. Um, unassisted essentially, you know, um, there weren't a lot of people at this point that were going through treatments yet. Uh-huh. Um, and so, and, and I, part of it was, I just don't think I'd like looked into, the space, right? So it was just kind of like on the main page. Um, let's take a look at tests, and that was pretty much it. But yeah, so you know, a couple more months of trying, which just felt like Groundhog Day at this point. You know, totally or same thing over. And Were over. you feeling any sort of like depression or anything like that? Because I'll say personally, I was. I got really depressed when it wasn't working for me. Anger, frustration. Okay. Um, you know, throughout all of this, like Ron and I were doing pretty good ourselves. Yeah. Like there was this sense of like, why, what is going on? And it was, um, almost approaching it from the perspective of like a puzzle of like, there's clearly something that's going on. We just need to figure out what it is. And then like that frustration of like, why the hell isn't my doctor taking it seriously? Mm -hmm. And so it was never, I, I think up until that point, like we, I never had internalized it as like, you know, I'm failing or anything like that. It yeah. was more just like, we're going to figure this out. We just haven't gotten to that point yet. Right. But I think kind of that timing with COVID in a way worked out to our benefit because we were so distracted with like, what is happening in this world. Right. Like the world is coming to an end. Like, yeah. It's like, well, maybe, you know, maybe the world's going to end before we get to this point and we won't have to worry about like being pregnant in the middle of like the plague, basically. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Um, I think it helped to serve as a distraction. Uh Uh-huh. Imagine actually having to be on like that force break without a pandemic would have been pretty miserable. Right. So when did you get to the point where you guys did decided so to do that that fall once things opened back up um with my ob's office um this is the original terrible ob okay did a clomid cycle and it didn't take um so it didn't work and 
right when that was happening is I think when she left the practice. So they switched me over to a different OB in the same practice. She took one look at my files and was like, oh, we need to refer you. Like, this is insane. Oh, wow. So she ran my AMH and she ran a couple of other levels. Everything came back normal. And she's like, this makes no sense to me. Like, based on what I see in your blood work, your age, your health, all of the things, you should be pregnant. Like, you shouldn't be, you know, almost two years in at this point. Yeah. Nothing. Did that feel good to hear that? Because then yeah, you're like, I okay, feel- now something's happening and maybe so we can find validating. some answers. So validating to hear yeah. her, you know, kind of say like, no, there is something going on. We're going to figure it out. Um, so she actually recommended my current RE. Um, they had gone to like med school together or something. And she's like, I know this person. She's great. You're going to love her. She's super smart. And I, again, was at a point where like, I hadn't researched anything. And so I was like, well, okay, I trust, you know, I, I trust you. Um, and so I didn't even look into other clinics in the DFW area. I was like, well, we'll meet with them. If I like, don't like it, we'll, we'll do some more research. And um, if I like it, we'll stay. And uh-huh. so we did, um, I reached out, we got a consult pretty quickly. I was actually very surprised. Um, and just in talking to her, she's like, yep, we're going to run a bunch of blood work. We're going to, you know, and she had a plan like two minutes into our conversation, we're going to run a yeah. bunch of blood work. We're going to see what it says. And then we're starting IUIs. Like we think that, you know, we need to get your ovaries going. We need to force that ovulation. Um, we're going to check his sperm and we're going to, you know, get you the best sperm we possibly can. And I was like, all right, let's do this. Yes. Um, and again, were you like, okay, now we're going to get pregnant. Like, yes. And, yeah. and that, that was exactly it. Like that was, you know, that kind of like punch that I needed of like, okay, we can do this. Mm-hmm. And so we did, you know, we did all the initial blood work, um, for both Ron. Well, for me, he did like the sperm analysis, everything came back normal. So at this point we are officially unexplained infertility. Mm-hmm. Um, and our first IUI was in September of 2020. 2020. Okay. Yeah. 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so our first IUI and, um, what we learned is that my body did not respond to the meds the way she expected them to. So mm. I had an AMH of like 3.6, 3.7, something like that, almost four. And she, based on that, based on my age, would have expected me to be making pretty good sized follicles in like the three to, you know, three to five of them. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I had one. And so she, that was when she was kind of like, well, you don't respond to the meds, um, as I would have expected, you know, like I thought you'd be just dropping eggs left and right, but you're not. Mm -hmm. Um, so she bumped me up. I was on letrozole, like what is it? 7.5 milligrams, like the highest. um, Oh, wow. And I was on the 7.5 and like nothing was happening. Like I had sleepy little ovaries. They were just, she called them stingy. (laughs) Were you like, thanks. That makes me feel great. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, okay, this explains now part of why it hasn't been working. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I've got stingy ovaries. Mm -hmm. Um, That's explaining part of it. And, you know, she was like, well, we're going to get you there. And so, um, you know, we would, we would, the first IUI, we did the Femara, um, triggered with Avidrel. 
uh, and, you know, on IUI day, like everything, she's like, it, it looks good. Like, you know, his numbers are good. Mm-hmm. Orgle was a pretty good size. Um, I think it was like 18 or 19 um, at the time. She's like, that's pretty, that, you know, that's pretty good for where we want it. Um, so let's just see what happens. And at my clinic, um, with IUIs, they don't have you come in for beta. So they just, you either wait till your period or you, you take a pregnancy test. Oh, wow. Okay. Did they tell you two weeks or 10 days or like yeah, how long did, after? It was 14 days. So 14 days. Exactly two weeks. Oh my um, God. Brutal. Yeah. A full totally. two weeks. That's like a full on two week wait. So what did you do to get through that time? It was, you know, the first one, it wasn't too bad. Like, okay. we, you know, it was, I'd been doing the two week wait for so long that it was just like, this is just, you know, more of it. I didn't really treat it any different than any other two week wait that I had done. Um, you know, I wasn't symptom spotting. I wasn't mm-hmm. like, I, I think at this point, I wasn't even really talking to people going through it. It was just business as usual. Like, I think, um, I remember we went for a walk and I felt like that heaviness that you feel after you ovulate, like a big follicle. And I was like, oh man, like this is what ovulation feels like. I have not felt this for the last, you know, two years. Like something is different. Yeah. Um, Did you feel hopeful? I, you know, yeah, I felt hopeful. Um, I, you know, was curious to kind of see what happened mm-hmm. um, and just kind of, you know, got to it and on the day. Oh yeah. So this was with the IUIs. Um, the one thing that I did struggle with was like the last like three or four days of the two week wait where it was like, okay, like now I'm like, do I feel the cramping? Do I feel the, you know, anything like that? Um, and I just kind of like power through it. Um, so with my first IUI, I woke up early, woke up at like 6am. It's a Saturday. Yeah. Like, all right, I got to pee on a stick. And right. I'd even gotten the nice pregnancy test for once. So Ooh, that, the fancy ones with the words. Oh yeah. Like the ones that you're like paying an arm and a leg for. Totally. Um, and I took the test negative. Um, and I was just like, Ugh. and then that, that thought happened. Well, maybe, maybe it's just a delayed a day or two, right? Like I don't feel cramping. I don't feel anything that's signifying my period's coming. So maybe this, the IUI was just like, it, it didn't do what it was supposed to, but the, the sperm and the egg met and something happened. Um, so I got back into bed uh, and I was like, okay, I'll try again tomorrow. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to call them. I'm just, I'll try again tomorrow. Maybe it'll be positive tomorrow. Okay. And then like three hours later, my period started. So that was oh. like miserable, right? Like yes. Just, Brushing. What a punch to the gut, mm. to the heart, to the it, everything, to, everything. <laughs> to the ovaries. <laughs> punch the ovaries. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't know why. I just had this thought of like, we learned something um, with mm. this cycle. So we're moving in the right direction. Um, and my RE, like after I called them to let them know, like I had my period, she was like, all right, you know, this is what we're going to do. And for the next cycle, we're going to do everything exactly the same. But I'm just changing up the timing of when you do your letrozole um, so that we can try to get that follicle nice and mature. Um, but we're moving in the right direction. And she mm-hmm. was super hopeful and super like in it that you can't help but to buy in, right? Like when your doctor's like, I got your back, right? Yeah. 
it be like, okay, like if you believe in me, you're I the expert. Yeah. Um, so our second one, I think the follicle got a little bit bigger, but it was kind of the same, the same situation where took the pregnancy test, it was negative. And that one, that one hurt. Um, mm. you know, that was probably the first time in the entire time that we had been trying that I like laid in bed and just sobbed and cried mm-hmm. and why me? Um, yeah. hundred percent. I know the feeling. Oh, I'm sorry. Ugly thoughts of like, why can that bitch get pregnant? And I totally that fucking like, bitch. Yeah. Uh, all those bitches all of them right like the crackheads the, the yes don't want the kids and you know all of it and um it just it all just crashed I mean up until that point every negative test every period it had been like oh, this sucks but I'm gonna get up and get on with my life um but this one I I, I wallowed in bed for hours that morning mm-hmm just couldn't, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. It was mm-hmm. exhausting. Um, I was at wit's end. Um, and I think it was probably the first time that Ron had recognized like how, how much I had kind of been like compartmentalizing it. And mm-hmm. so he, you know, he's rubbing my back and I don't even know that he knew what to say. And he usually knows what to say. Right. So it was just one of those, like, shit like this is our reality now yeah Yeah. there's not what do you where do you go from here um and that was the day that I was like I'm gonna do this one more time and if it doesn't work we're doing IVF like Mm -hmm. I told you supposed to save money we didn't but we're gonna we're gonna make this thing work Mm -hmm. um and that was the day that he pulled out all of his insurance paperwork and looked up like do we have coverage and how are we going to make this work and so um you know that was the start of kind of like the roller I mean it felt like a roller coaster to get to that point but yeah but now this is like the big leagues right it's like the the big leagues but yeah real yeah next phase did you guys have coverage? He did. He did. Okay. He did. Um, so what we needed to do was we actually, the timing of it worked out pretty well because he was in his open enrollment. Um, so what we needed to do was switch me to his insurance. At that point, we were still kind of carrying our own. Um, so for January of 2021, he added me onto his insurance. And so it was kind of one of those things where it's like, well, the stars at least aligned that we were able to get me switched over when open enrollment happened rather than having to like wait or figure Mm -hmm. something out later. Um, So that Monday I called, you know, I called my clinic. I let them know like, Hey, it was negative. Um, I want to do one more IUI and then we're moving to IVF. And my RE was not for it. She was like, I, you've got a couple more cycles in you. Like, I think we're going to figure it out. And I was like, no, like I, you know, it's not working. Like I'm, you know, what do we need to do to get to that point? And so she's like, okay. So she did my, for my third IUI, it was still the, the Femara. She's like, we're going to add on a steroid. Um, We'll still do the Avadrel injection, but we're going to, you know, that steroid, I think will help. And I was like, okay, 
I also want the IVF console. And she's like, Pile, just wait. And I was like, no, like I refuse. Why did she want you to wait? Do you she, think? You know, she thought that she could get it, you know? And yeah. she's definitely like, it's her personality, very much glass half full. Like, we're going to get you there. I have faith in your body. I have faith in you. I have faith in the protocol. Right. Um, and, and so I, in, the, the in your field, sorry to interrupt, but like, you know, in the pharmaceutical field, were you, did you have like kind of insight into like, maybe I should try this drug or were you like going rogue at all in terms of the protocol or what you wanted to do? No, nope. I'm a rule follower. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Like I had actually, um, I had kind of started to look into the drugs, but like it was just, I mean, there's so much right with the different protocols and everything. I was like, I, I don't trust myself more than I trust this person who has studied, um, all of this stuff for, years right um who am i to go rogue uh that changed eventually right yeah at that point i was still very much like she tells me to do this i'm gonna do it um exactly how she says um so she did eventually agree she said you know we'll schedule they scheduled my ivf consult during the two-week wait so the plan was right in her mind she's like we're going to do that consult and then we're going to have a plan for IVF and then it's going to work because that's how life is. Right. And I was like, gosh, I hope you're right. Dr. Reed. Yeah. Um, and so we did the IUI um, and it was just like from the beginning, it was like a cluster. Like I got my period over Thanksgiving. Mm. So I was like, well, instead of, you know, starting on day three, I had to start on day five because the clinic was closed. And I was like, this isn't even going to work. Like uh-huh. I scheduled that IVF consult because I'm not wasting my time with this anymore. Um, on baseline, my follicle, my lead follicle was already at like 11. So she was just like, holy shit. Um I'm like, well, does this mean we're not going to do it? And she's like, no, 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 we're going to, you're going to do the letrozole. We're going to monitor you. She had me come in a little bit sooner. Um, We did trigger, we did the IUI and everything. And I went into that two week wait, assuming it wasn't going to work because why would it? Um, So the IVF consult, you know, she talked about their timing, how they kind of do all of the the blood work and everything ahead of time and kind of what that would look like. We talked about timing with insurance. So she said, you know, we can start everything in January. That way everything goes towards deductible for next year. And um, if it all works out, right, like you'll be having your baby at the end of the year and you'll still have met your deductible and it'll be like the least um, expensive option for you. I'm like, that's so cute that she thought that that's how it was going to be. But like, you know, we had a plan, like we had a really good plan. Right. Um, And on December the 21st was Pianistic Day and Mm -hmm. I had my first squinter. So at this point I had joined Rally and I'd met um met a girl through Rally that we had been like texting and stuff. And so it's like 6 a.m. 6 30 a.m. Mm-hmm. Like adopted buddy a few weeks before. So I'm out in the backyard, like watching him like a hawk because I was sure he was gonna run away. Uh-huh. And you know, like I peed that morning and like I wasn't sure if it was a smudge or not and it like kept bothering me yeah 
texting her like, hey, is it awkward? Like, I know how shitty it is when people do this now, right? Like, <laughs> now, um, but like, I don't know what to do. And she's like, text me a picture. And I'm like, are you sure? Because mm-hmm. she's, you know, she's kind of going through treatments and stuff. Um, and so I was like, are you sure? Like, I don't want you to feel like uncomfortable about mm-hmm. it. And she goes, no, 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 send me a picture. And so I sent her a picture and she like texts back a couple minutes later. She's like, I think I see something. Oh, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, but like it's super faint, right? Like, I mean, I'm like, you know, when you're like squinting and then like tilting your head, like totally, and like trying to yes, getting closer and then further away, and like yeah. yeah. And so she's like, do this, and, and it was like the best advice she like I could have gotten that day. She's like, don't drink any more water for the next couple of hours. Try again around lunchtime and see mm-hmm. what happens, mm-hmm. and. You know, I'm thinking, well, it's going to come back just completely negative, but whatever, we'll try it. Like, I'm not going to call my clinic just yet that I'm out. Um, So at lunch, I peed on another stick and it was still very faint, but it was clearly like there was something there. It was, I didn't even really have to like do the, you know, the head tilts and stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so um I walked into Ron's office. He just finished up a call and I'd like threw the stick on his desk. I'm like, we're pregnant. Oh my God. Which was like not at all how I had envisioned, you know, telling him the first mm-hmm. time. One of the- <laughs> you I- didn't picture just throwing it at him. But- no, no, no. I was like, we're pregnant. Look, you know, and he was just like, oh, like, what do we, you know, what? Like, what do we do? And I'm like, oh crap. Like I have to call my clinic and tell them like, cause they're, they have, I didn't even know what the protocol was. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, I had never even thought about it. So I called um, and they were like, oh, why are you calling me now? Like, you should have called me this morning. And I'm like, well, this morning it wasn't very positive, but now it's a little bit more positive. And I'm sure the like receptionist thought I was insane. Like, what is this girl doing? Um, so they sent me to a lab corp for like a beta. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like at four o'clock after I wrap up with work, I'm driving to lab corp and, you know, that's when the exciting jitters kind of like hit, right? Like, holy shit, like I'm getting a blood test to confirm a pregnancy. Like what? Right. Um, so, you know, I didn't know at all, like how long this is going to take. So I'm thinking like, I get my, you know, magic, magic pile brain. Like I'll get my blood work done at four and they'll call me at like 6am tomorrow morning. Uh huh. So like, I got my blood work done and then like, could not, I was like the pit in my stomach, like super excited. Like, oh yeah, I don't think I slept at all. The next morning, I'm like checking my phone constantly. Like, I think I'd like drained my battery down to like 50% by 8 a.m. because I kept checking it. Right. Um, and I got the call a little after lunch and the nurse, it was the nurse who called me and she, you know, started out by saying, well, congratulations, you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. But your beta is at an eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like, didn't know what that meant. And the, butt was kind of like that, like, Ooh, you know, like when they say that and I was like, well, what does that mean? And she said, you know, your doctor is caught, uh, concerned was the word that they use. Like it, it is positive. You are pregnant, but your doctor is concerned. So we're going to have you go back. Um, and we're going to have you do another, uh, test to see, you know, and she kind of explained to me, like, we're looking for it to more or less double. I 
Googled and kind of <laughs> like, okay, what does this mean? Right. Like, what does this mean? Uh, no, it wasn't eight. Sorry. It was 15. Okay. Um, I'm getting, I'm getting my, the two ends of beta health confused. It was 15. Yeah. Um, so I Googled, um, you know, beta 15, what does that mean? And like, kind of saw both ends, right? Like, it's not going to work. You're going to miscarry or, Hey, like I had a beta 12 and like my, you know, that, that baby is like sitting in my arms right now. And I exactly chose, you know, like re continued to read the ones where it's like, the baby's in my arms or I'm 25 weeks or, you know, right. Yeah. You hear stories on either that go either way for yeah. sure. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I just was like, well, this is going to be our miracle baby. Like this is, you know, our beta 15, it's going to keep doubling. Yeah. So I got my second beta done. It was the 23rd and like an idiot. Like I just assumed that, you know, medical professionals keep coming into work, even though it's Christmas, (laughs) I didn't get the results back till the following Monday. Oh God because our like lab court was closed and then our clinic was closed and I was like losing my shit out. I was brutal every day, like out of my mind, like what is happening? Yeah. Um, so eventually I get a call and it had gone up to 26. So almost double, but mm-hmm. not, you know, not enough. Um, but in my mind, I was like, well, it almost doubled. Like we're, we're getting there. We're moving in the right direction. Yeah. Um, but that started beta health for me. So I was getting betas done two to three times a week. Um, and they were all kind of doubling or close to doubling, um, where, you know, with every test, it was like, we're getting there, you mm-hmm. know, things are, things are, are, are happening. And it's did you just, feel like it was like just enough to keep you hanging on like a little bit of hope, but like oh, also at the no. same time, it's so brutal. It was, I don't even know that there, like hope was so far out of the equation. It was mm-hmm. just, I just need to know what the heck is happening in mm-hmm. my body. Gotcha. Um, immensely frustrating, like immensely, I was probably like the bitchiest I've been in a very long time. Uh, I'm the person that's always like, you know, the front desk people, it's not in their control. Be nice to them. Don't yell at them. And I was like yelling at her. <laughs> right. The nurse. Um, but, uh, you know, it was still going up. Right. So like, we're still in it. Um, and I was measuring, I should have been measuring about six weeks is when they pulled me in for my first sonogram. Um, and for the sonograms, they have like their head nurse do it, um, not the doctor. And so she's, you know, she's got Wanda up there looking at everything and there is nothing. Um, so there was no gestational sac. There was no yolk sac. There was nothing. Oh, sorry. Um, so she was just like, you know, let me get the doctor. The doctor came in and she's like, well, based on where your betas are, like maybe you're just measuring behind. Um, but we're not out just yet because my betas were still going up. Mm-hmm. So they had me come back a week later. And this time there were like these blobs um, that they couldn't quite confidently call it a gestational sac, but they couldn't say it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so she's like, we're just going to watch it. You know, we're just going to watch it. And that was kind of when I started freaking out about ectopic pregnancy. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, you know, at this point, like we should be able to see something somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Had they mentioned that to you at all? No, were they, they worried about that? So they weren't worried about it just yet. You know, I think my betas were low enough that they just kind of assumed that stuff hadn't started to deform. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they they had mentioned that there's a chance we miscarry, um, but they hadn't mentioned ectopic at all. Mm-hmm. And the week between that sonogram and the following sonogram was when like all hell broke loose for me. Like emotionally, I couldn't keep it together anymore. Um, I called and more or less cussed out my nurse. And I was like, I, I might be having an ectopic pregnancy. Like I could die. Right. Mm -hmm. I I could die. Um, And I think that's when it hit her like, holy shit, like this is she's serious. Right. Yeah. Um, so she, you know, she apologized. Um, and then they got my doctor actually called my already called me back and she was like, okay, like I don't want, I didn't want to go through all of these other options because I didn't want to scare you. And I was like, doc, like I'm already scared. Right. Yes. I'm shitting my pants. Like talked me through, you know, she's like, it could be an ectopic. This is why I don't think it's an ectopic. There's something called a molar pregnancy. This is why I don't think it's so she walked me through her logic. Okay. A really good conversation at that point where I was like, just just give it to me straight. Like, do not sugarcoat it. Do not, you know, from here on out, like this is what I'm asking for. And um as ugly as the conversation was, right, to get to that point, like I'm really glad that we did. Cause she, you know, from that point forward was very much like this is kind of where we are. And and this is kind of what we're looking for. So she, you know, that conversation, she told me, she's like, I'm pretty sure you're going to end up miscarrying, but because your betas keep going up, we can't stop your medication. Like your, your body is saying it's pregnant. Um, but because we haven't seen anything, it's really concerning. Uh, so we're just going to keep an eye on it and, you know, we'll, we'll kind of go from there. The next appointment, the next sonogram we had, um, I got in and I'm fully expecting nothing to be there, just like the last one. She, my doctor was the one who did my scan and she immediately, like we could tell something was different. Like all the little blobs I was mentioning, they were gone. Mm -hmm. I had one blob, Mm -hmm. my gestational sac. Um, She kind of did the zoom in thing and we saw not just a fetal pole, we saw a heartbeat. Oh my God. How many weeks was this? I was eight weeks at this point. Okay. Yeah, I was eight weeks at this point. Baby was measuring at six. Mm-hmm. Um, like, holy shit, like you've got a heartbeat, you know? And I was like, oh my God, you know? Oh my God. What a 180. Was, I mean, it was just, right? Yeah. Like, what is happening? Yeah. yeah. What is uh-huh. happening? So in that moment, you know, I asked her, I'm like, are we good? And she goes, well, you're measuring far behind, very far behind. Um, But the fact that you went from not really having much of anything to now not only having an obvious gestational sac, an obvious fetal pole, and a heartbeat, like, we had hope. And I was just like, all right. So we went home. uh, Ron and I cried. Um, We called our parents because, you know, 
again, naive, like pregnancy, like, oh my God, you know, we're we're pregnant. Yeah. Um, I don't blame you though. It's like finally some good news. Yeah. And it was, we were guarded still. Right. So we were still, you know, it's early. There's, we've had these issues. The doctor's still watching carefully, but we're there. Um, and the following week I went back and there was no longer a heartbeat. Um, so that was, I, I would have been nine weeks at that point. And, um, not only was there no longer a heartbeat, like my body had already started kind of breaking down, um, yeah. everything. And so we went from, you know, the week before, like overjoyed and super excited and happy to like, now what? Yeah. Uh, I'm so sorry. And, um, thank you. Just like having the conversation about like, what do we go, where do we go from here? And, um, try to let my body kind of naturally miscarry. It wouldn't. Um, and so then my doctor was like, well, you can either do a DNC or you can do Cytotec. Um, and I was terrified of surgery. So I was like, well, do the Cytotec. Um, and like, just to kind of give you a glimpse into who I am as a person, like, I was like, can we time it so that it's after like my busy period at work? Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, it was like, yeah, like, I don't, you know, have any fears of like, you know, having an infection or anything. So whatever works for you. Um, Texted my boss, like, Hey, on February the 3rd, I'm going to be having a miscarriage. And she like called me back. She's like, what? Oh God. And I was like, yeah, I just needed you to know that I was probably going to take like Thursday and Friday off. Oh, <laughs> you're so sweet. Um, But like, you know, she was just like, take a week. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, no, yes, my work stuff. And she's like, you're insane. Like, Did I'm- she know you were going through any of this stuff? Okay. Yeah. She had known, um, she had known and it was on a fluke. Like it wasn't that I called her about it. She had known that we'd kind of been in beta hell because one day she called me for a work thing. And I was like, I'm on my way to my clinic for blood work. Like, can this wait? And she's like, blood work? Like what? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, uh, going through this. And she was like, Oh, like I'll leave you alone. You know, she was super great about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we ended up, uh, we, I ended up um, doing like the four Cytotec uh, pills up my hoo-ha. Okay. Um, and then just kind of waiting. Uh, it started working pretty quickly, like within an hour or two. And like over the next day, um, I had ended up passing um, all of the tissue. Mm-hmm. And so once that happened, you know, we were in this kind of waiting game of getting my betas back down to, uh, back down to essentially negative. Um, but that kind of prompted the conversation with my RE. She's like, yes, I agree. Like given your age, you know, miscarriages, it, it can happen, but it, it shouldn't have, right. Like it's, it's pretty rare to see them in, in somebody your age. So there's clearly something going on. Like, I think IVF is the right way to go, which, you know, again, it's like, well, I told you so, mm-hmm. um, And then something that had not really been on our radar that she brought up was, you know, what are your thoughts on doing PGT testing? Because the most common uh, reason for an early miscarriage like that is chromosomal abnormalities. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, like, obviously, I don't ever want to go through that again. Yeah. Um, So let's 
let's let's do it right and um she's like all right we're just going to monitor you back down to zero um and then we'll we'll be able to start kind of your prep for your your egg retrieval mm-hmm. um and we'd had the conversation about like you know the percentages you know she's like with your age and your health and your status and everything like I don't even remember what she told me. It was like high 70% that the first cycle works and like high, you know, mid 90% for the second. And she's like, and if you even need to get to a third, it's like basically a guarantee at this point. Like wow. so confident. Yeah. Um, so it took us about two months for my betas to come back down. They were, it took a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and And we started, you know, egg retrieval prep. So it was, you know, all of the blood work and, you know, surprise, I don't have any STDs because like I haven't had sex with anybody other than my husband in how many years at this Uh point. Uh-huh, uh-huh. All the stuff that they've got to check their boxes, right? Right. um, Did all the testing. And then we did our first round of stims in April of 2021. Um, that egg retrieval, we got 12 eggs, 10 were mature, I think like six of them fertilized. We had two blasts. Only one of them was normal. Um, and she, you know, we had, we had almost like a, what the fuck after that? Cause she, mm-hmm. you know, I was going to drop like, you know, 20 eggs. Right. Based- AMH and everything. And I didn't. And she was like, well, you know, it's those stingy ovaries again. Like they just, you know, they don't want to drop eggs. But then the other thing that we had learned is that I had really bad egg quality. Um, So, you know, the embryologist had kind of given, you know, she said like they were really grainy and like didn't look super healthy. Um, and my RE was like, yeah, I'm looking at that drop off for your fertilization numbers. Like I'm kind of thinking the same thing. You've got mm-hmm. bad egg quality. And so um, at this point, I'm like deep in rally, right? So I'm hearing right. we'll talk about like the different um, supplements and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, brought that up and she, you know, was very much like, if you want to do it, you can, um, those studies kind of go both ways, right? There's studies that show that it works. There's studies that show that it doesn't. Um, so I'm, I don't, she doesn't recommend, um, kind of as a blanket for everybody. Cause she's like, I'm not going to have everybody spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on supplements that may or may not work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when we started talking about next steps, um, you know, I told her, I'm like, I want to have multiple kids. Um, I think, you know, she was like, do we want to just transfer the one embryo you have? And I was like, oh, I want to have multiple kids. Like I'm not getting any younger. My eggs are already crappy quality. Like, doesn't it make sense to get more out now? And so uh, she was like, all right. So we did a second um, egg retrieval in July of that year um slightly different protocol like she had added clomid and done a couple of different other things and essentially had the same outcome so we had 10 eggs this time um eight of them matured i think all of them fertilized we ended up with five blasts but only one normal mm-hmm. um, so she was like hey like that's good like we got more blasts and we're like, but we only got one normal like that's you know right um 
but at that point I was a little bit burnt out on egg retrievals. Yeah. And so uh, in September of that year, we transferred. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. It didn't take at all. And so now we're down to one normal embryo. Um, and I kind of was like, okay, well, we're going to do another egg retrieval, but I also want to make sure that we're doing all of the, all of the things before we transfer again. Um, and so at Rally Live, I had learned about like ERA, Emma, Alice, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, I, I remember having that conversation. I'm like, I, I want to do this. Um, and she was like, but, and I was like, I'm going to do this. And she was like, all right, like, we'll do it. We'll do it. Um, you know, I don't know that we're going to find anything, but if it gives you peace of mind, like it's worth it. So we did a third egg retrieval in November. Mm -hmm. Um, and this was like our balls to the walls egg retrieval. I mean, literally like I came with like, here's my list. We Yeah. (laughs) The kitchen sink and like guns a blazing. You're like, yeah. And I didn't even have like rationale for half of it. Right. It was like, I want to do a steroid because I got pregnant on a steroid last year to do a steroid. And but it's like, that kind of thing, Pyle, where like, you never know what's going to be the one thing, right? Okay. So it's it's like, if you've had success or you know of certain things, like, fuck yeah, at that point, you're going to try it all. And she, she went for it. I give her all the credit in the world. She's like, all right, let's do it. You know? And um, we ended up getting 18 eggs. Um, I think like 16 of them were mature, but like eight of them fertilized. So it's like, what the fuck is happening with my numbers right now? Like, there's no pattern. Um, we ended up getting four normals and an inconclusive that cycle. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was just like that roller coaster of like, I, I have yet to have like a expected trend with all of my egg retrieval, random shit. Yeah. Um, but I remember she called me and she was just like, do you even want to go through all this testing? You've got plenty of embryos now. And I was like, girl, we've fought a lot to get here. Like, I'm all the testing and she's like all right so let's do that like let's do all of your biopsies we'll do a hysteroscopy we'll we'll do it all um I don't think you need it but we'll do it all and then we'll transfer mm-hmm. um, you're like don't stop me now girl <laughs> like we're on a roll like, there is there is no going back no. Um, so we did all of our testing everything came back normal so again like at this point there's no reason that an embryo would not implant in my body um and we, you know, it was just like, all right, you know, as soon as we can, like, we're going to put, we're going to put one of those suckers in. Um, so early 2022, we um, got, you know, got all of our test results and everything back. And on the anniversary of my miscarriage is when mm-hmm. I had to transfer. Mm-hmm. February 3rd of 2022. Mm-hmm my transfer and on February 14th of 2022 we found out that not only did that little bean stick oh my gosh it stuck it stuck like my no. 100 um, what was it 700 and something wow and like the thought crossed my mind of like did it split <laughs> like yes especially compared to like the 15 I had previously totally oh my um, gosh but like it, I didn't feel confident. Like I remember it's so scary. Yeah. Thinking like, well, 700 is a lot harder to, to double than 15. Mm. So like, what if it doesn't double? And um, my second beta came back at like 1700. So it more than doubled. And we didn't even do a third beta. Like she was just like, 
we don't need to. You're She's good. like, you're good. Um, I got my first scan at five weeks, five days. They called and they were like, you know, beforehand, like setting the appointment. She's like, I don't know that we'll see anything, but like, you know, obviously with your history, like let's get you in and make sure that things are forming the way they're supposed to. We saw our little baby's heartbeat at five weeks, five days. Cause oh my gosh, like super overachiever. Yep. At this point, we didn't know it was a boy actually. I, yeah. Um, I had told him to put the best one in and so we were like we don't know if it's a boy or a girl you know we're just a, we were assuming it was a girl because I had more girls at that point um what was that appointment like was Ron with you no it was just me okay uh, and what was his reaction to that when you told him reaction was cool calm and collected like of course of course and I'm just like are you kidding me <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, of course, you were going to see a heart. Like, why wouldn't you? Uh huh. Your numbers looked good. They told you that was good. You know, they told you. And I was like, you're nuts. Like, bro, get excited. <laughs> Could you get excited or was it still just like, holy shit, the stakes are so high and all that? Yeah. Like, I felt like until, until we, there was this, like, memory in my head of at eight weeks with my first pregnancy, um, you know, that before that eight week scan, um, my RE had said, you know, at eight weeks, they kind of look like a little gummy bear. Mm-hmm. And I, for, with this pregnancy, I was like, until I see that gummy bear, like, I don't believe it. Right. Because mm-hmm. last time I had seen the flickering and then it went away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with my they had scheduled my eight week scan, which was also going to be my graduation scan. Okay. Um, and they had said Ron could come to that one. So that's what we had planned for. Yeah. Um, midway. So at seven weeks, I was starting to spot. Okay. Like called them blind panic, like freaking out. Right. Yeah. They brought me back in. Everything looked good. They found an SCH, um, a subchorionic hematoma. And it was very, very small. Um, so the nurse and my RE both were like, Spotting's totally normal. We'll take you off the aspirin, a zombie aspirin. So they took me off of it and they're like, I don't, I'm not worried about it. Um, my spotting was very faint and mostly dark. So they were like, it's just old blood. It's not anything that we're concerned about. Um, and I kind of let it go, right? Like I was just like, okay, like this is just a part of the process with IBF. SCH is common. They yep. explain- they're monitoring you a lot earlier. So maybe everybody has them, but like they're not coming in for scans this early. Yes. So many rally members have had them too. Um, and, and so many rally members have had them more serious than mine. Right. So I was like, well, I'm just like, you know, it's just little dots. Right. So I'm okay. It's not like it's like gushing of blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm okay. Um, at eight weeks, baby was exactly like you'd expect a little gummy bear right um they graduated us um lots of tears yeah i I remember distinctly saying i'll see you guys in like two years (laughs) right yeah guys in two years um got in with my new ob so i'm seeing a totally different doctor now she herself is at ivf babies and so she Mm. did it um, that first appointment, um, Ron came with me for the scan and, you know, we heard the heartbeat for the first time and it was just magical. I mean, yeah. it was just the best sound, the best sound mm-hmm. ever. 
Um, and they were having me come in every two weeks until the end of the first trimester and then mm-hmm. every thereafter. So mm-hmm. it's going in um, and had a textbook pregnancy, right? Like they, the symptoms that I, I didn't have terrible symptoms. I had nausea, food aversions, um, and that was pretty much it. I was still spotting on and off, but my OB did not seem really concerned with that. Um, at, you know, what is it like 11 or 12 weeks when she was like, oh yeah, and you're not just going to get better. Like my nausea got better. You know, mm-hmm. my, my little um, baby app was telling me like, oh, you might be experiencing these symptoms. And I was experiencing those. Oh symptoms. my God. Did it feel strange to finally be on track with something? Like it felt good. Like, yeah. it, was, it was like, this is like, like I'm in the textbook, right? Like, right. And the normal pregnancy, you know, yeah. appointment we had, um, it was like, this is the heartbeat. This is what it's supposed to be. And it's like spot on. Right. So I was just, I was feeling so good. Mm-hmm. Um, we made it to 20, 22 weeks before I had the anatomy scan. I was a little bit nervous about that. And yeah you know, the, the, um, sonographer, she like walked me through it. The doctor came and gave me all the measurements and I was like, okay, but like, is my baby normal? And he's like average. And that's like all you want to hear. Like, yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't need. Right. Like, I just want an average baby. Yes. I feel like like I remember that scan. I think you emailed us because wasn't Ron out of town. He was. And so, yeah, you had like signed a member special date and you were like, I'm really nervous about this one. And we were like, oh my God, we're here for you. Let us know how it goes. And I remember that. So he was out of town and Mm -hmm. MFM, they don't let you like FaceTime anybody in. So I was like really, really anxious about it. And it was just like, I'm pretty sure I cried when when the doctor was like average. And I was just like, okay, all right. And they gave me like millions of pictures and like, you know, I was able to take video off my phone. She was like, I'm going to look the other way for this many, you know, seconds. And if you were to pull out your phone and take a video, like, I won't know. I I love that. I can do it. Um, But it was amazing um, in terms of just like hearing that everything was okay. At this point, we knew we were having a baby boy. Um, we started brainstorming names and I was building a registry and um, getting, you know, letting myself get excited. Um, and that was something that was really hard after the loss. Um, you know, it wasn't really until the end of my first trimester that I felt confident um, in being pregnant. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I knew that everything was progressing the way that the doctor said that it should, it was, there was still always that kind of like, well, you know, maybe at the next appointment, I'll feel more confident with this. Maybe at the next appointment, I'll feel more comfortable. Um, so like, you know, where my first pregnancy, we told our parents that like six or seven weeks with this one, we waited till almost 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, you know, announcing to the world was like a whole different, like, I was like, I can't do it, but I have to do it, but I can't do it, but I have to do it. You know? Yeah. That's really hard, especially when you're bit, you know, you've been active in the Instagram community here with pile ponders and you know, it's when you have to announce big things like that. It's tricky. You don't want to 
trigger anybody. You don't want to make anybody feel badly. You're also really nervous yourself. It's hard to figure out what to share. Did you find that too? Yeah, I I really struggled with it. Um, You know, because like you said, I don't want anybody to feel hurt or victimized by it. Um, But at the same time, I had made so many connections in that space that Mm -hmm. it also felt inauthentic to not say anything, Mm -hmm. right? With how many people were rooting for us and, you know, um, on transfer day, the number of people that like put up a post wishing me luck, right? Like it's totally. like all these people are rooting for me. And if I don't say anything, like, am I that asshole? Right. And so I finally did, like, I, I, you know, I had the little sensitive post um, tag and I was like, you know, shared in my, in my caption, like, I don't know that I'm going to keep doing the sensitive post tag, but like, this is your kind of warning of like, if this is not right for you, you can mute, you can unfollow, like, you know, whatever you need to do, I get it. Um, And overall, I, you know, was just floored by how amazing the community was, you know, most everybody um, not only showed up, but showed up big. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody loves you, Pyle. It's true. You're such a likable person. You're kind at the moment. I was like, I'm that asshole. Well, like I got pregnant, um, you know, when, when um, nobody, you know, like everybody else is having a hard time, but so many women, you know, reached out and they were like, you give me hope. Yeah. You've been through it. But you've um, also been there for other people as well. So, you know, that's your reputation as well as like always, what is everyone going through this week? How can I support you? How can I help you? You've always been there for other people. So it yeah. came back to you. That's natural. It, it came back tenfold. I mean, I was um, literally that night that I that I put it on Instagram. Like I was reading those comments and just crying mm-hmm. because, like, you know, this baby boy. Um, you know, you always joke about like your Instagram aunties and stuff. Mm-hmm. He has real aunties, like. I, we can do a world tour and people will show up and like give him kisses and hugs. And, um, it's just a testament to like everything that we've been through. Right. In Mm -hmm. terms of just like, this is, these are real connections. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, it was one of those things where I put it all out there. I mean, people saw me really trying to lean in and really trying to embrace pregnancy and, um, talked a lot about pregnancy after loss. And I talked a lot about kind of some of the the challenges that come with that, right? That feeling of you're never truly comfortable or confident that this is going to happen. Um, but then also, you know, you hit a point in your pregnancy where you start thinking it's going to happen. You know, when I felt his kicks for the first time, or, um, you know, when I I think I'd shared this early on. I was like, what can I, what am I looking most forward to wearing maternity clothes? Like I wanted to be big, yeah, like, <laughs> big and being able to feel him. Yeah. And, you know, once I hit those two points, I was like, wow, like this is real. And then it was like the, Oh shit. Like we're going to be bringing home a baby. Like, yeah. yeah. There's so many phases. Research. Um, And so, you know, it was, I mean, all of that played out in real time on Instagram and like, it was, I mean, it was, that was me. It was raw. It was real. It's who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, And it helped, right. It helped to kind of get it out. It helped to talk to people who had been through something similar. 
Um, and it helped to educate people who hadn't, right, in terms of, hey, if you know somebody who's had a loss, like this is maybe the dialogue going on in their head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't assume they're okay just because they're pregnant now um, because it, it's, they're probably terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was, I mean, I, we got through most of the second trimester, uh, 24 weeks of viability. We did not, we didn't do the half-baked because... <laughs> kind of was too tired and lost track of time so I was like well at 24 weeks we'll do something mm-hmm. um, and we you know celebrated with pancakes and uh, decaf coffee in the morning because I wasn't doing caffeine at this point but it was like yeah. pancakes and um, we had like I think Cherish had posted like something with like fruity pebbles and I was like oh my god I have to have fruity pebble pancakes and so we made fruity pebble pancakes and it was like sugar bomb to the mouth. <laughs> so good. Um, and it happened to be a long weekend because it was 4th of July weekend. So it was like, you know, we slept in, we like took it easy. There was no work, like none of that to worry about. Um, and I was feeling good. Mm-hmm. I was feeling really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, July 4th happened. Um, so that was 24 weeks and two days. Um felt pretty good all day. I was having some cramping, but it was also like 105 degrees and I was probably dehydrated. Um, so I didn't really think anything of it. Mm-hmm. And that night, um, I was packing for a trip. We were going to Phoenix for work. Um, and in the middle of packing, like, I was like, oh gosh, like I, you know, TMI warning for the listeners here. I was like, I got to poop. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ran to the bathroom and even in that moment, it was like constipated pregnant lady. Like, yes, I have to hope. Right. Right. I don't want to be constipated on this trip in Phoenix. Right. Right. Um, so use the bathroom and like immediately after passing my bowel movement, I passed what felt like a clot. Yeah. I knew that it was something different because it felt a lot like the clot I had passed when I was miscarrying. Mm -hmm. And so immediately my first thought was, I bet you this is the blood clot from the SCH. Let me catch it. Mm. Call my doctor and we can figure out what we are going to do next. Mm -hmm. Um, So I got my hand in there and as soon as my hand touched it, it did not feel like a clot. It felt like a sack full of fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I hollered for one and my super rational, wonderful husband put two and two together that, Hey, she's in the bathroom. Every time she yells me for me in the bathroom, it's because there's a bug. So <laughs> he saunters in like, Oh my God, you know, it's probably like this big. Um, and he walks in and he sees me on the toilet, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. What's going on? And I was like, something's not right. And like, I mean, you could see just slow motion, right? He's like, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to call? Mm-hmm. And as soon as he said that, that sack burst and it's blood um, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I just screamed like, yes, call 911. Mm-hmm. Um, so he goes, he grabs his phone. He's on the phone with 911. A second, um, what felt like a clot. Um, started making its way down, grabbed it, thinking, oh my gosh, is this the baby? Mm-hmm. Um, it popped, it was my water breaking. And so at this point, 
the person on 911, I mean, bless her. I don't know how she kept her cool because like he's yelling, I'm yelling, I'm mm-hmm. crying, I'm like hyperventilating, and she's like helping me breathe. And she's, you know, like kind of I mean, just uh, hats yeah. off, like amazing. Yeah. Um, and she asked me, she's like, Are you able to get up and look in the toilet to see like how much blood is there? And I like I was sitting, I'm like, I'm not getting up. Like yeah. if I get up, this baby's coming out. Like yes. And she's like, okay, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Just stay there. The EMTs are on their way. Okay. Um, they got there really quickly, like within 10 minutes. Wow. And so they came in, uh, you know, the first thing the, the one EMT said was like, you know, are you, are you able to stand up? And I was just like, I'm not doing it. Like, I'm, you're going to have to like cut this toilet out. I'm coming with the toilet. Right. And he's just like, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to get you. Um, they checked my vitals. Everything looked good at this point. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't having any contractions or anything like that, but I knew mm-hmm. my water had broken. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I kept telling him like, I've lost a lot of blood. Like I, I'm, we need to get to a hospital. Mm-hmm. And the way that my house is kind of situated, they couldn't get a stretcher in. Mm-hmm. So my my wonderful husband sacrificed his desk chair, um, which is on wheels. He wheeled it in. They got me on it. He wheeled me out. Oh, bless him. They got me in a stretcher in the ambulance. Um, and that was when they made the call that, like, we can't take you to your hospital. We're going to have to take you to the closest one because there's just no way. Mm-hmm. Um what was going through your mind? Do you remember? He, oh, I can, I can tell you that. I mean, we, I, I told him my blood type. I told him my IVF protocol. I told oh, wow. him IVF pregnancy and, and they better take this seriously. This was, I think like a week after Roe versus Wade was overturned. And I was like, I really want this baby. Do not send me to jail. Oh. Uh, I mean, I like, there was no logic at all. Right. Yeah. Like, it was, I mean, I begged him to keep it in me. I yeah. think I, and I said, let me die, but keep this baby alive. Like, oh, babe. and he just was like, first of all, you're not going to die. Second of all, we are going to do everything we possibly can. I understand how badly you want this baby. We are going to give it everything. Oh, held my hand. And then, you know, he like, I mean, he just kept, we just, he just kept talking to me. Right. Like he just kept talking, tell me about, you know, what you name him, like all of it. And I think yeah. you know, it was trying to keep me calm. Yes. And were you feeling like you might pass out at this point, just blood loss yeah. and yeah, the like rushes over and all that? Yeah. So there were a few times that I'd gotten kind of like lightheaded and I told him and he's like, yeah, well, you've lost a lot of blood, you know? And, and it was just one of those things that I think, you know, angel on earth. I mean, he amazing human being, right. We got to the hospital and like, he was like, you can't, you can't pass out on me because you're a better historian than I am for you. (laughs) Um, Like you know all your specifics. And he just, I mean, he gave me just enough to keep holding on. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, got me to labor and delivery. Um, they had paged for the on-call OB, um, how far was the, this hospital? You said it wasn't your hospital. Like it wasn't my hospital. It was, um, my, so my hospital is about 40 ish minutes away. Um, breaking traffic laws, probably closer to 25, 30. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is the one right here. Um, it's about 10 to 15. Okay. So close. They had a level 
three NICU, I think, um, which is why they made that call of like, they're close. They have a level three NICU. I know her doctor's not there. We'll figure that part out later on. Mm -hmm. Um, So we got there. They called the on-call OB. um, And while they were waiting for her, they hooked me up to the Doppler and um, they were listening for Zion's heartbeat and they heard it. And he seemed fine. It seemed normal. It seemed totally normal. Like I was the psycho person that was like listening to his heartbeat every night. So I could tell them like, that's exactly what it sounds like. So you had a Doppler at home? Oh yeah. 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 And tell me, can we talk about his name real quick? He is Zion Edward Murhammer. Just the bestest, perfectest baby ever. Um, Yes. He, so his name's actually kind of funny. I mentioned Ron is Mr traditional, rational, pro-con list for everything. Mm -hmm. He had one rule with baby names. Well, he had two rules, actually. So the first rule was, we're not going to give our baby any weird names. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then his second rule was, because Merhammer's such a long name, uh, he was like, our baby's going to have a short first name because he has these, like, I swear, I think he has PTSD from like back in school, like spelling Ronald Edward Murhammer is like, okay. Yeah. That's a lot of letters. Um, Murhammer is such a cool name too. It's, it's epic. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were actually on a trip together and he had pulled up his phone and he was going through like the top, like 500 baby names or baby boy names. And like every name was just like a nope, nope, nope. You know, either one of us was like, nope. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got to Zion and he was convinced I was going to say no, because like, so he went to Duke. Um, if you're a, a fan of sports, Zion Williamson is like one of the biggest like basketball recruits in the last, I don't know how many years. So he's okay. like, Zion he's like I know you're gonna say no because like we're not naming our son after a Duke you know basketball player <laughs> I love it and I'm sitting there like but I love Zion like what do you like when you think about like your child's name right like you want to give them something that's just like amazing and I yeah. was like how like Zion that's just it screams power it screams like yes it's so cool it's like a you know strength and love yeah Yeah. and I googled it right and uh in Hebrew it means the highest peak Mm -hmm. um and he was he was Mm -hmm. our you know after everything we had gone through he was our highest peak and so Mm. um it just stuck with me and you know he was like I don't know how I feel about it like I don't know if we're gonna name our child Zion um but in my like little pregnancy app, like, you know, instead of like baby nugget, it was now like Zion. Like, right. I, That's I mean, his name. And, you know, I, I just kept calling him Zion. And like, eventually we both were like, well, you've done it long enough. Like I've, I've done it long enough. And he's like, this is Zion. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it just, it was one of those like super organic, you know, I love that. And Edward was, is Ron's middle name. Yeah, so gotcha. Edward's a family name, um, and, and that was kind of like our compromise because Zion was a little bit too like too much, right? It's not it's not traditional enough, and I was sure. like, we can give him a normal middle name, and that way, if he doesn't want to be Zion, he can go by like Edward or Ed or Eddie or whatever. And it's totally like we were giving our child options. Um, is how I think about it. Yeah, for sure. So back to the hospital. Yeah. So, so, you know, on the Doppler, he's 
initially sounded pretty good, but I was starting to have contractions. Like I could feel them, uh, or stronger contractions. Um, and like the next little bit, it's just totally a blur because like my mind was going all sorts of places. Um, Ron eventually showed up because he had to drive separately from me. He couldn't come in the ambulance. There just wasn't enough space. Um, so he eventually showed up, um, they're asking him all these questions and I'm sure he was like crazy overwhelmed. Um, eventually the OB got there. She had like an actual sonogram and, um, it was when she actually started scanning for him that she realized his heart rate was dipping into like the eighties and nineties when it should have been the one forties. And so she saw that I had had a placental abruption. My placenta had completely separated from the uterus. Um, so it wasn't even a partial. Um, and she was like, we need to get her in for a C-section. And um, I do remember her saying, with how quickly we're doing this, there's a good possibility we have to do a traditional C-section, meaning she will never be able to have a vaginal delivery ever again. And in that moment, my only thought was, I don't even fucking care. <laughs> like, yeah, keep the baby alive, right? Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so they wheeled me in. They got me um, somewhat cleaned up. They had uh, the general. An- I had to go through general anesthesia. There wasn't any any time for like a nerve block. They were like, we're going to have to put her under. Um, and the next thing, you know, I'm waking up, um, the first things out of my mouth were, where's my baby? Is he okay? Um, they told me, yes, he, Mm -hmm. uh, one blue. So they needed to do CPR on him, but they got him back. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, then the second thing was, where's Ron? And she's like, oh, he's right there. Uh, Um, I was so drugged up. Like I hadn't even looked to my, looked. Yeah. Um, and so I'm still kind of coming out of it. Yeah. Uh, they're with me. The NICU doctors came in and explained um, that he was in pretty critical shape. Uh, yeah. That, you know, the, I think she had said there's like a 40 to 50% chance that he'll make it. And I'm just like, well, he's he's our Zion. He's, he's going to make it. Mm-hmm. And, I think it, it hit Ron faster than it hit me that like, that's not a good number to be at, to be, you know, like your, your child's chances of survival are you know essentially a coin flip. Like, I think he realized it and I was like, no, like we have gone through all of it and he is going to be on the right side of statistics. Yeah. Um, they wouldn't let us see him right away. Cause I was still full, like, I was still really groggy. So they were like, we need you to kind of wake back up a little bit. Had Ron gotten to see him or hold him or anything? Yet? Ron had gotten to see him. He okay. hadn't been able to hold him yet. Yeah. So he, um, he didn't get to be in the delivery room because I was fully under. So they, they couldn't bring him in. Um, after they revived Sion and got him into the NICU, they had taken Ron. So he's like, I, I got to see him for like, literally, I think it was a split second. Mm-hmm. Um, grabbed a couple pictures, um, texted our family. Um, and then he showed me the pictures and like, it, I was like, I don't even see, I just see this like incubator with all these blankets, right? Like yeah. see where he was. Um, they did wheel us down that night, uh, well, wheeled me down. Um, cause I was still like not able to sit up. They couldn't get me in a wheelchair. Um, and 
we, you know, we got there, talked a little bit with the NICU doctor and she was kind of explaining. And I can't even imagine like as a healthcare professional, like I, I understood 20% of the words that came out of her mouth. Mm-hmm. I cannot imagine like it's, it's a foreign language to anybody who has zero healthcare at all. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, she was trying her hardest to kind of pare things down, but it's like, there's only so much that you can, you can, you know, translate at that point. Mm-hmm. Is like, Do you no, know, like, can you glean like what were like the major issues? Like, yeah. So he, um, they hadn't done like, so they, with the CPR, they, uh, with the compressions, she had told us that in most instances, when they do that, the baby will experience either a brain bleed, a heart bleed or both. And so she was telling us about the following morning, they were going to have a couple of tests run. One of them was called a fetal echocardiogram, which is like an imaging of his heart. And then they were going to do a couple of dye tests on his brain to see if there was any, um, she called them leaky vessels. So essentially if there's a bleed in the brain, Mm -hmm. Uh, she was kind of going through all of that. Um, essentially just warning us, like, we're probably going to find bleeds and we'll deal with it, you know? Um, but the biggest thing was that his lungs were just super small, um, at 24 weeks, you know, they're, they're very, that's like the last organ to develop. And so she's like, they're super small. There wasn't really, they couldn't do, um, they didn't have enough time to do a steroid shot for me. Um, so there wasn't really anything to help him out. Um, because I think from the time we called 911 to the time he was born, it was less than two hours. So like mm-hmm. there was literally no, um, no ability to do that, um, mm-hmm. that they were going over like some of the medications that they were going to try for him to help his lungs. They had him on epinephrine. They had him on a couple of other drugs. They had him on fentanyl because he was just like in so much, you know, pain and everything. And I'm sitting mm-hmm. there oh my gosh, like, I know what fentanyl does, Mm -hmm. like, you know, it's insane, right? Yeah. Um, And then, you know, they are also telling us, like, hey, tomorrow when you come down, take a picture of his little hands with your wedding bands, because you'll be, it's going to be amazing for you to see how small he is today and how much bigger he's going to get by the time he leaves. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. These, you know, they're just holding on to just anything. Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember her saying he was one pound, eight ounces. And she was like, he's a micro preemie, but he's big enough that we can get the lines in, you know, he's, and, and I'm just amazing. This is good. This is good. You know, right. How long was he? 12 inches long. I was like, I'm pretty sure he was about 12 inches long. So oh, like, yes. Zion. Yeah. Um, but they were so hopeful, right? Like they were, they were just trying. Those medical, the NICU team is just amazing. Amazing. I mean, just the amount of strength it takes to be able to, you know, day in and day out. Um, it's just phenomenal. But yeah, so the next day they, well, that night, um, Ron ended up going home because he was like, we have blood all over our house. Our dog is locked in his crate because, you know, we're going to leave him roaming. Um, 
And again, it's like our naiveness, right? That we just figured nothing is going to happen overnight. So you went home um, and they had me on all the good pain meds. Um, and I tried to sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Did you get any sleep? I feel like I, what, I mean, no, that's I got not it. even like a thing. It no sleep at all. Um, you know, I've got like maybe pockets here and there and it was, I think less actual sleep and more like, I'm so drugged up that like, I'm just like, can't keep my eyes open. Right. Um, were they able to tell you pile about the abruption, why it happened or like what caused it? No. So we, the most common causes are some sort of trauma, like car accident, falling down the stairs that had not happened with me. Um, the second most common cause is some sort of bleeding disorder, like mm-hmm. clotting disorder. Um, mm-hmm. And post delivery, right? All of the blood work I had done came back clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, as with everything else in my life, um, I have an unex- unexplained, unexplained, okay, theology. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, to be fair, like my doctors, both of them, my RE and my OB kind of said, Hey, there's a very likely chance. We just don't have a ton of research, um, about abruption and kind of beyond those two major causes, what else can cause it? So, um, you know, just keep running tests until we maybe figure something out. I don't know. Right. Yeah. So so it's night one and you're not sleeping, of course. What happened the next day? So so, um, Ron came back early in the morning. He, you know, had spent the night essentially kind of in the same situation as me. He didn't really sleep. He was cleaning up. Um, He said it looked like a a murder scene. Yeah. um, You know, he like dropped Buddy off at dog, you know, our boarding facility and essentially just like walked in and said, my wife just had a baby unexpectedly, like very early. Just take him um, and we'll figure it out. And they were just like, we'll figure it out. Like, you know, don't even worry about it. So that second day um, in the morning, they called NICU called uh, and let us know that he was getting all of his scans and everything done. And so they were like, you know, we will call you once he's out of all of the scans and then you guys can come down um, and see him. Um, because right now he's like being, you know, he's got all these monitors and stuff and you're not going to be able to spend any time with him. So, you know, I got up um they were able to kind of clean me up a little bit. I was able to actually change into like a legitimate hospital gown up until this point, I'd been in whatever I was wearing the night before. So I had like my t-shirt on, which was covered in blood. Like it was just terrible. The nurse was like, you know, I'm hooked up to all these IVs. She's like, I don't know how we're going to get this shirt off. And I'm like laying there, like, just cut it off. And she's like, are you sure? I'm like, just cut it off. I'm never wearing this shirt again. Um, and so they got me into a hospital gown. They were able to get, I. they ran a couple of IVs. I don't even know what the medications were at this point, like just, you know, normal fluids and antibiotics and all of that. Um, and then once we got the call that he was done with his scans, they, we were able to go to the NICU. Um, so we kind of we got there. They told us like he did not have any signs of bleeding in his um, heart or in his brain, um, which was unheard of, um, really given wow. that he had gone through. Yeah. Um, and that made us feel really good, right? Like, okay, sure. chance, but then, you know, and this is kind of NICU life, like it's this roller coaster, right? So like in that same breath, they're like, yeah, but like, 
his oxygen levels are not where they should be, right? So like he was on 100% oxygen, but his blood levels were sitting at 85. Mm. And they're like, we can't give him any more oxygen. Like he's already at 100%. Um, so we're just going to keep, you know, working with the medications, keep monitoring him and kind of go from there. So we sat with him for a little bit um, and we couldn't even hold him because he was so small that any sort of like physical manipulation was just sending his stats into like all sorts of crazy, just not very stable. And so, you know, they were like, well, because you're on no touch, you can come by whenever you want. Yay. But like, you can't hold your baby. Um, I feel like that must've been so heartbreaking to not be able to pick him up. And I mean, you you read like rationally, you know, you're doing the right thing. Right. But like the mama inside of you, like longing for this baby for so long, like that must've been hard. Mind fuck because you want to hold your baby, but like you want them to keep telling you, you can't hold your baby because that means that he's doing better. Something's healing or yeah, yeah, it's progressing. Right, right, right. Yeah. That makes sense. Like, I, I, every time we went down there, I had this dread of like, they're going to say, oh, do you want to hold your baby? Cause like, to me, that was just like, that means he's going to, it's going in the wrong direction. Oh yeah. Um, so, you know, we had that good news. We were holding on to it. Um, they got me into like a postpartum room teaching me how to like pump and all the, all the things. And like, at this point, you know, I'm not, I haven't even been in the hospital 24 hours and I felt like I'd been there for two weeks, mm-hmm. just kind of with everything that had happened. Um, we got to go back and see him that evening. And they said he was doing a little bit better. Like when we saw his monitors, his blood oxygen level was in the low nineties. So that was like really promising. Mm-hmm. Um, spent a little bit of time with him. And then that night again, Ron was like, I'm going to go home and shower and like sleep in bed. Um, you know, I'll have my phone on. So just call me and it's 10 minutes away. So like, we weren't too worried about it. I did actually get sleep that second night. I think I was just so like, everything was just, you know, like at this point, the adrenaline's worn off mm-hmm. and kind of settling in. Um, and then the following morning, <laughs> I like texted Ron. I'm like, can you stop at Starbucks for me and like, get me like a pineapple refresher, please. Mm-hmm. He's just like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah, like I'll even put in the order. You just have to go through the drive through. Like, this is how confident I was and nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so he like, you know, stopped by the Starbucks, picked up my drink, um, even made fun of me for it. Like you're so basic that you're like, you know, two days in the hospital. <laughs> I love you guys. Um, And, you know, we were talking and I said, you know, today when we go down there, like, I want to bring a book for Zion and we're going to read to him. Like, Mm -hmm. that was something that I had dreams of, like, bedtime stories together and, like, you know, everybody snuggled up in bed reading a book to Zion. And so I was like, we're going to do it. You know, I know it's not the same as what we had envisioned, but, like, this is important to me. And so he was like, all right, yeah, yeah. And he, like, you know, brought a book with him and everything. Um, and this was the day that Sonia and Jen had, oh gosh, it feels like it was so like I was there forever, but like, it was literally like not even 
48 hours, they dropped by and it was, I mean, just my heart was overflowing. Like they had messages of love from like all the rally sisters and like, you know, were telling me about how um, people were pulling together and like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they had brought things to help me with C-section recovery. They had brought stuff for Zion. They brought like a little stuffed animal. Um, I mean, it was just, it was one of those where like part of me wasn't fully computing, right? Like that this is incredible. And then part of me was just like, well, yeah, of course, all these people are going to show up for me. These are my sisters. Like mm-hmm. what would they expect? Right. So it was kind of like both ends. Um, yeah. And I remember like, I remember telling them like, yeah, you know, you guys come back in a couple more days and we'll bring you down to the NICU like to see him. Right. Like it was just kind of like this, like, this is going to be a thing. Like we're going to be here a while, but we're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um. So we went down, you know, after they left, we went down to the NICU. I had my book with me and we got there and they said, Hey, like he actually had um, air leaking in his lungs and they were working on getting a chest tube in. And so when we got there, they were like, yeah, it's not a good time. Like, you know, we're, we're doing all this stuff, like go back up to your room and we'll let you know. Mm. We rolled right back around, um, went back up to the room and again, not really like, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple hours later, the ent- basically what felt like the entire NICU team showed up to our room and like, essentially like sat down and said, okay, so we were able to get a chest tube in yeah. the other lung blue. Um, and, you know, in my brain, it's still not computing, right? Like it's still not computing. Like yeah. she's telling us like, okay, we're going to have to get another chest tube. We'll put another chest tube in and he'll be fine. Yeah. And then she said, you know, you guys need to come down here. Um, we'll wait and we'll see what happens. If his vitals don't get better, there's not much more that we can do. And we want you down there so that she said those words so that you can hold him. And my yeah. heart stopped. Yeah. Um, so we dropped everything we were doing, um, got in my wheelchair, wheeled me down there, you know, the entire time around's like, I'm sorry about the bumps. I'm like, I don't fucking care. Like I'll blow all my stitches. Like seriously, baby. And so we got there and, you know, I knew it was serious when they had pulled like the curtains around his little incubator. Yeah. And so we sat there and just watched um and waited right and I was willing to sit there all night all night Mm -hmm. please you know stay stable and his NICU doctor every so often is coming by like I don't think it'll help but maybe we can paralyze him or I don't think you know and she's I mean poor, poor woman was racking her brain just anything um And it was the hardest thing that any parent should ever have to ask their doctor. But, you know, we have to ask her, like, is this actually going to help him or is it just going to prolong his death? Um, And her voice broke, but she said, you know, I don't think it's going to help. And so we said no. Like, we're not going to, I don't want him to be in any more pain. Yeah. He is. Um, And so 
you know, it felt like an eternity, but at some point, you know, we, they said that his vitals were getting worse. Um, yeah. So they, you know, she told me, she's like, are you ready for us to start kind of like unhooking him? And I, you know, said, yeah, like, what else are we going to do? Right. Um, and they, they helped me unhook my gown so that I could at least have some um, skin to skin. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they, Ron was able to get some pictures at some point, And I don't even know when this happened, they took his phone and they were taking pictures so that he and I could spend time together with Zion. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he was so small. Yeah. What did he look like? He, he was perfect. He Tell me about his little perfect little body and face. He had big hands and big feet. Um, yeah. Big hands and big feet. And he had, we didn't know, he never opened his eyes, so we don't know, but he had these eyelashes that mm. were just so precious and he had hair, um, he had dark hair like mine. And it, he was obviously my child. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he was a bad, he's a badass like you. So obviously your child, he, gosh, Allie, he was just, everything. he was everything. And I knew he was a crazy fighter because they had him doped up on fentanyl and he was still just like, you know, yeah. moving and going. And I was like, gosh, he is giving it everything he has yeah Um, and you know we held him and we whispered sweet nothings and we told him how much we loved him and how precious he was to us and um he apologized um and, and we just we just held him until he until he wasn't there how long was it do you know not long enough and too long at the same time yeah Um, from the time that they unhooked him it it couldn't have been very long um 15 20 minutes max i would think Um, i i I, that's my guess yeah oh um so we held him until we were ready to not hold him and then they um, were able to unhook like all of his little sensors and everything. Um, and while they were doing that, you know, they told us that we could stay and watch or we could um, go to a different room and I, I couldn't watch. Um, so they had us in a, in a separate room um, and we were just in shock. Um, yeah. you know, part of me was thinking like, while they're unhooking him, it'll be like the movies and he'll look <gasps> and start breathing, you know, like right. for me, that's like, maybe, um, but then they brought him in and, you know, he was, he was wrapped up, um, in a little, in a little swaddle. And they said, you know, we could bathe him, but we knew he wasn't there. Yeah. So we bathed him. Um, our goodbyes and you know in my heart I knew that I as much as I wanted to keep him with me forever I also wanted to remember him as he was a whole mm-hmm. um and so you know that was that was our goodbye 
Um, so he, you know, 48 hours almost exactly. Yeah. With us. And um, then, you know, it's like, well, we got back to our room and it's the, the hard phone calls, right? You call family and let them know kind of, hey, he didn't make it. Um, and that was hard because, you know, they're not here with us. So they don't know what the roller coaster has been. Mm-hmm. They, you know, it, it was, it was a hard, hard conversation. Um, did Ron make the calls or did you, or did you both or like together? We were, we were together. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it was kind of one of those, like, he did a lot of the talking because I just couldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't have been able to either. Um, so then did you have to stay in the hospital? Cause you're still recovering too, from I'm your surgery. Right? Uh, we wanted to go home that night and they said, no, um, it was late enough that there wasn't a doctor available to like discharge me. Yeah. Um, but they said, you know, we can discharge you in the morning. So the following morning, so Ron stayed in the hospital with me that night and neither of us slept. Um, neither of us talked, Mm-mm. just kind of laid there in our separate spaces, just kind of like, not even really sure, you know, where you go from there. Right. Um, I think the only thing I said was we're going to need a shit ton of therapy <laughs> to, <laughs> to get this. And he, you know, was like, all right, yeah, like, we'll do it. Yeah. Um, the following morning, you know, I realized I didn't have any clothes because um, they had literally cut off <laughs> the shirt and the the clothes that I'd come in uh, yeah. so he to grab me stuff. And he's like, I don't even know what to get you. And I'm like, I don't even fucking care. Like, yeah, seriously, anything to cover me. And so he like came back with like three different outfits as if it mattered, you know, yeah. I didn't know what would be comfortable. I didn't know what would be. You're right. Um, and so I, I, you know, changed. And while I was waiting for him, I mean, just on autopilot mode, I'm calling daycare centers that we had scheduled oh, God. Um, tours with to let them know we're not going to make it. Um, I'm calling my MFM to cancel our fetal echo. I'm calling my OB uh, oh. to cancel our upcoming appointments you're so strong to have been able to do that i would have been like they can all fuck off and figure it out for themselves like you know i was sitting there like what else could i do in that right well yeah it's probably this maybe a sense of like something you can control or something you can yeah Yeah. um the nurse at one point came in and had a conversation about what do we do with his body and i'm sitting there like what parent, you know, has looked into, and I'm like, I don't even know what the funeral homes around us are. Right. Why would you? Yeah. And she, you know, she, she's like, I know this is really hard. Like, I know Um, she had a list that they had used before. And then she's like, you know, we also through our hospital have this, um, our tiniest angels, um memorial so it's you know essentially um all the babies gone too soon you know they kind of do like a communal service for them Mm. and as soon as she said it I'm like yep that's what we're doing like he cannot I I, as much as I want to keep him with me by myself like he is too big 
to be alone. He needs to roll with his homies. He's going to be with all his crew. Like, he cannot be alone. He cannot. He yeah. Cannot in my house. Like, he needs to be free. Um, and I, like, said that, and she's like, talk to your husband. <laughs> like, Ron's not even here at this point. So Ron got there, and, like, we went over it, and I'm like, this is it. And he's like, yeah, like, that's that's it. Um, and so like, we were so grateful that they even had that as an option, you know, and, and part of it, I think was selfish. Like I could not wrap my mind around the idea of like organizing my own child's memorial. Like you're going to do it for me. Great. You know? Um, so like, you know, we're sitting there like filling out the stuff for his birth certificate. We're filling out the forms for, you know, the memorial and kind of what to do with the funeral home and releasing his body and everything. And then finally the doctor gets in essentially looks at my incision and goes, are you sure you want to go home? And I was like, yeah, I can't stay here anymore. Um, he's like, all right, I'll discharge you. He like gets my med list. The nurse walks in, gives me a tub of Cabo cream. Um, Cause she's like, your breast milk is going to start coming in and this is going to help dry it up. Yeah. He wow. gave me you know, a quarter sheet pamphlet of what to do. Oh God. Um, and that was it. We got our discharge papers. Uh, I refused to be wheeled down. So I walked out of the hospital, um, holding a box of Zion's things, um, and got home, um, Ron went and picked Buddy up and started kind of picking up the pieces, I guess, you know, in terms of where, where do we go from here? Um, yeah. Well, I'm so incredibly sorry for all of that you went through and you're so strong. Um, you know, I love that you want to share this story because I know how much you care about other people. And, you know, you had told me before when you had agreed to do this, like, yeah, if my story can help even one person or connect with someone. So I just think it takes such a strong person to be able to relive all of this. And can we talk about the ice cream mm-hmm. and Zion? Cause I want everybody to know, cause I will never honestly pile never ever look at ice cream again without thinking of Zion. That's that's the truth. So tell us about that. So um, in the weeks after we got home, I really had a hard time with how do I honor my baby? And um, August 4th was going to be one month without, or well, one month since he was born. And I thought, you know, if he was earth side, I would have celebrated the hell out of it. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Waited one month. And um, one of the things that I had craved fairly consistently in my pregnancy was ice cream. Mm-hmm. And um, so I got on Instagram and put a little stories of like, you know, for anybody that feels called to, to celebrate him, have an ice cream. Um, because that's what I craved when I was pregnant with him. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're gonna do. And honestly, I will tell you, I was 
not expecting anybody really to like do it. I just kind of, I was like, I'm going to do it whether y'all want to join me or not. Like we're having an ice cream party for my son, even if it's a party of one. Yeah. (laughs) And in the week, you know, leading up to August 4th, like it was insane how many people were like taking a picture of their ice cream cone and uh-huh. in it. And, um, you know, I was like, well, I'm just going to repost them all because, Hey, that's what you do in a party, right? Like you take pictures and you share them and it's all over the place. Yeah. Um, and so it kind of became his little, his little thing where, you know, we have ice cream for Zion and, um, Ron and I, you know, we have ice cream on the fourth for his birthday. We'll have ice cream if we're having a rough day. Um, and we just want to be close to him. Mm-hmm just kind of become it's just kind of become you know a food that we kind of associate with him mm-hmm. I love that I love that memory I think that's so so amazing and you know another thing is just for for any other lost parents who might be listening to this you know I know this is still so raw and grieving we know is not linear and it's going to be it's a process and you know it's not it's everybody grieves differently, but is there anything that you have picked up along the way that you could share with people about going through something like this and how you're, you're back at work, you know, you're, you, you're, you guys, you know, there's things you have to do. And I feel like to a certain degree, I feel like I would just want to like crawl under the covers and never come out. Like how, how did you put one foot in front of the other? How, how do you it's a, I think it's a testament to the people in our lives, honestly. Um, you know, when we started looking at like going back, I had that same thought of like, how the hell do I do this? Am I going to yeah. be, am I going to go and like quit after two hours? Right. Like there's no way, but, um, you know, we have had some really incredibly supportive people in our lives, coworkers, friends, family, um, that have, you know, they've checked in. Um, and the biggest thing, right. Is that they haven't tried to fix it. Cause you can't fix it. You yeah. can't, you can't make him come back. You can't take away the hurt. You can't take away the pain, but you can sit with somebody and, you know, acknowledge how shitty it is. Um, people have given us so much grace, um, and continue to give us grace. Uh, so that, you know, is something that, for anybody listening, not just a lost parent, you know, if you know somebody who's going through anything like this, um, whether it's a second trimester loss, a third trimester loss, a first trimester loss, it doesn't matter. A loss is, you know, incredibly difficult for any parent. Um, Let go of your expectations, right? In terms of what they need to be feeling supported, um, ask, ask them what would help. Um, because it, like you said, it's different for everybody. Um, you know, for me, people eating ice cream and sharing that with me, help, help me feel like he made an impact for somebody else. It might be triggering. Right. And so, um, you know, take the cues from that lost parent and give them grace. They may not even know what they need. I don't know what I need half the time. Um, it's just when I know when it comes to me, you know, I, I try to verbalize it as best I can. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, we, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be semi-functional had it not been for the people in our lives who have shown up for us, who have, you know, given us space to mourn and grieve, who continue to do that for us. Okay, guys, thank you so much for listening. Pyle, I love you. I know we're going to be friends for life. And you know I'm always in your corner and we will always think of Zion, especially when we are eating ice cream. So thanks again. Thank you guys for listening. As you guys know, I met Pyle through Fertility Rally and the bonds are just inevitable, undeniable. So if you guys are interested in Fertility Rally, check us out on Instagram at Fertility Rally. You can also always DM us. You can email us at thefertilityrally at Gmail if you have any questions about membership. We have three support groups, four support groups a week. We have three Facebook groups. We have a men's group coming in the new year, which you guys will hear more about. And we've got events and a website full of resources. And it's just this badass community full of people who have become family and want to support each other. So no matter what you're going through, assisted reproductive technology, surrogacy, adoption, all the things just new to this world and want some friends and community, check us out. Again, thanks to Pyle. Thank you guys for listening.